What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Zach Griffith on the line. He is a big-time ketogenic hunter, so I have a feeling we're going to dive into where the real meat comes from. Uh, without further ado, how are you, brother? Good, man. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Yeah, man. It's going to be good to have you on here. So, Kind of give the audience like a little bio on you, kind of like a little background and, and what brings you here in the first place, man. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind of a, I, I'm a fitness junkie. I've always been a big, you know, gym rat. I played sports in high school and college and I've always been around weights and have always been around hunting. But until I was like 25 or 30, I never really found that there was a correlation between hunting and fitness. And uh, growing up in Utah, anyone that's been out West realizes that we've got mountains in our backyard that are up to 11,000. And when you're climbing up from 5,000 feet within a mile or two, you're talking some steep, rugged terrain and fitness comes in majorly, especially just you know, you know your off-season conditioning. So um, what I learned as I got older is just kind of how to adapt my training to functional mountain performance, if you will. Um, just kind of like training my legs, my cardio, my upper body. Uh, toning my physique in a way that's like a functional athletic muscular build as opposed to just really big and heavy um, because on the mountain you know you want to find that balance there's a sweet spot between functionality size performance and and still on my end aesthetics like I still want to look good with my shirt off but I also want to be able to burn up and down the hill and be efficient doing it and so you know yeah I don't weigh 225 like I used to when I used to try to compete on uh, the bodybuilding side of things, but um, I found that my body just cruises at a, like a 190, 195 range as lean as possible. That's kind of like my ultimate physique for training and hunting. And so that's kind of what my, my platform is, is training to improve hunting performance. And then obviously just, you know, I'm a big conservationist. So I absolutely worship wildlife. I worship and relish the opportunity to chase them and film them and and just experience, you know, the, the, the natural man that is with all of us. I mean, I feel like the hunter gatherer, it's a, it's, it's inherent. It's a, it's a just natural instinctual part of humanity. And just because over the last couple hundred years, Walmart and other things have made it more, you know, facilitated and easier access to those types of things. Uh, it doesn't mean they're not still there and doesn't mean we can't tap into that primal, you know, primal, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, drive or, 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 um, draw, you know, uh, gravity, you know, there's a pull towards mm -hmm. it. I don't know what else to say. So whenever I, whenever I'm up in the hills, I feel fulfilled. Um, there's nothing like harvesting an animal, taking every ounce of edible flesh or organs, anything you can off the animal, using it, respecting it, taking care of it, carrying it off the mountain, whether it's three, five or 10 miles back, taking it home, processing it, freezing it. I mean, I, you talk about farm to table. I, I, I watch my deer grow all spring. And then when I finally harvest them in the, the fall or summer, I'm able to take them home. And there's no question about, you know, additives or preservatives or chemicals or antibiotics. I mean, this is the most natural, raw, organic. It's, it's, it's just fuel, you know, and, it, and I, I've absolutely learned to just love it. That's all I eat is wild game. Um, typically a, a deer or an elk, you know, a deer will weigh 100 pounds worth of, uh, of meat byproduct, whatever elk will be usually double or triple that. And you can imagine, you know, hundred pounds of lean beef, um, red meat in your fridge, you, that'll last you three, four months and, and, you know, kill an elk and a deer a year. I've got almost my whole year covered just off of my own efforts hunting. Um, and then if my wife contributes or family members, you know, I'm just a sponge. I'll take it from anybody because I just love wild organic meat. So it all works together. You know, lifting's awesome. Hunting's awesome. Providing food for yourself and your family is awesome. Participating in conservation and the cycle of life is awesome. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, overlook hunters and their role in conservation. That you know, we get a sometimes a bad name just by the less informed that we're just out there savagely trying to kill these poor little cartoon Disney character deer. When in reality, yeah. it's a balance in nature. You know, someone has to over oversee nature and. And make sure there's a balance between predators and prey and that they're not overpopulating because too many deer in an area is actually detrimental to the herd because they'll overgraze, overfeed, and, 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 inherently, and ultimately, you know, kill themselves because there's got to be a balance there. And, and as human beings encroach on their, 
on their uh, their land and their territory, we have to step in and take an active role in ensuring that there are animals, you know, thriving and, and reproducing and growing and that the herds are sustainable and hunters and the money we spend pursuing these animals, accessing permits, uh, paying for licenses, et cetera, that all funds conservation effort to ensure that those animals are there for future generations. So no, I completely hundred percent agree, man. I want to, I want to dive deep into this for sure. What the, I mean, did you grow up kind of in, interested in training and hunting? Like, were you doing that at an early age or had that? Come yeah. Out? Yeah. So I, I, I grew up, I'm, I grew up in the traditional, just, you know, Ameri middle, middle America, uh, middle American, middle-class American family. Mom and dad worked. I played little league baseball and football and basketball all the way through high school and college. Uh, I lifted because my coaches told me I had to, but you know, I always saw the value in, in training and as I got bigger and stronger, I wanted more and more and more. And luckily for me, it's been an outlet, almost like a uh, therapeutic release where I could just go in and let off some steam. And it's a great way for me to meditate. Um, anyone that knows me from the gym, I'm not a social gym guy. You, I don't talk to anybody, even my best buddy who trains with me on a daily basis for the last five years. I bet we've said less than three words to each other during those one to two hour daily sessions because we get there, put our headphones in and go to town. And I'm there to get, you know, accomplish a task. And I'm very, very, very focused on my muscle connection and getting an efficient workout. And I'm very analytical about my results. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a, a, just an adamant dieter. Uh, my training regimens are strict. My sleep is strict. I'm very re regimented in that way. Um, and I've always been that way from a young age. I was just raised kind of get up early, you know, get things done, be organized, set tasks and goals and accomplish them. Um, hunting also just as part of my family and cultural, cultural heritage. I grew up eating wild game and my dad and I would do the annual, annual deer hunt, you know, every, every October. And I, you know, at a young age, I just relished those experiences and I'm grateful for, you know, a father that took the time out of his, you know, personal interest to instill that, that, that passion in me. And obviously I'm trying to pass the torch to my girls. I've got four daughters. And uh, only one of them so far is interested in hunting, but she's quite accomplished for a 10 year old that weighs 60 pounds. She's already killed, you know, f two deer and a big ram. And she's just, <laughs> she's just hungry for it. It's really fun to share it. And I'll tell you as a father passing that, that heritage on is probably the most fulfilling hunting experience I've ever had. Um, I've killed lots of big animals and lots of trophies and been in magazines and stuff. And I'll tell you right now, watching your daughter kill a young, immature, quote unquote, non-trophy deer is about 10 times more rewarding than killing the biggest animal on the, on the mountain. So this is awesome, man. Like what, um, so there's just a lot of different areas. I want to take this here. So yeah, sure. With regards to the hunting and, and just like, I guess there's not even this one, the hunting, but you've got a pretty good pulse on, you know, kind of like, I mean, you've got a great social media following your hunter, your trainer, you can kind of see certain trends. Like you just pick up on it. Do you feel like, like hunting, as a whole is kind of on the rise or on the decline right now amongst like the younger generations? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'll be honest with you. Um, so I, I'm an avid bow hunter and I think bow hunting is kind of, it's kind of like skateboarding. It just kind of came back, you know, it was like resurrected bow hunting's to me. I, I'm a big rifle guy. Trust me. I'm not knocking rifle hunting or taking away from, but I feel like bow hunting is kind of cooler right now. Uh, the bows are carbon fiber. They're, they're, they're way more, you know, gnarly looking and they're just, they're badass, man. You, you, you see a bow, the new compound bows and just, they look ruthless, you know, um, the, my, part of my, my style and my, you know, social media platform has been kind of instilling a younger, edgier vibe into bow hunting, you know, from mm -hmm. flat brim hats to, to, to hip hop music, to Range Rovers instead of a camo truck, you know, like it's always been just kind of like tying who I am and what I dig into the old school side of things. And so, yeah, I do feel like it's growing. I do feel like there's some traction there with that younger audience. Uh, my entire social media platform is geared towards the 18 to 24 year olds. So um, I absolutely feel like it is. And I hope it is because obviously the 18 to 24 year olds have got about 40 years of hunting ahead of them. So I hope we can get them hooked now and, and keep you know the system and the 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 the, the efforts perpetual. You know you, you gotta you gotta keep that ball rolling, or obviously it could become a dying breed. I I'm a baseball guy. I grew up playing baseball uh, my whole life. I was obsessed with it, and I've watched baseball just kind of fall out of favor with the American public. It's just kind of lost its 
it's lost its um, prestige. It's lost its vibe. It's, you know, it's, it's, I'm not sure why, but I can see that there's a trend away from it. And I, I feel like hunting is absolutely the opposite just because of the, the new innovations in gear and technology and also the incorporation of social media uh, and the fitness side of things into it. I, 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 I've, I've always liked to talk to non-hunters that are, that are, you know, city metropolitan people that have never been exposed to it because I think a lot of them get the impression that hunters either drink beer and shoot deer off the, out of the window of their car with a spotlight yeah. or they're up in, a, up in a tree stand drinking out of a thermos, you know, with a, you know, a beaver, beaver hat on. And if you saw the way we hunt, I think pretty much anyone could step back and say, yeah, that's pretty badass because, you know, the camel patterns, the gear we wear, the technic technicality of the, the terrain that we hunt. I mean, to be a bow hunter and to be hunting in, in alpine conditions where you're at 10,000 feet. I mean, we hunted elk until December 15th this year at 9,000 feet. And it was, you know, 30, 35 inches of snow and sub-zero temperatures. And we're up there in snow camo with bows chasing these thousand pound giant animals. And I mean, it's, it's, it's epic. You know, there's no, there's no other way to put it. It's, it's physically taxing. It's emotionally taxing. It takes tons of preparation. Uh, you have to be an absolute artist and, tr and uh, tradesman with your craft because a bow takes tuning and, and finesse practice. There's a lot of working parts and variables. You have to know the, how the bows work. I mean, there, you know, a rifle is just point, click, boom. Bow, there's there's a lot of moving variables, and you have to be more in tune. It's a lot like fly fishing; uh, you just have to be on top of things, you know. So I like to rifle hunt because I just love guns and I'm obsessed with them. But bow hunting is at a different level. There's no question. No, I, t I totally agree, man. I really like this whole conversation is resonating with me because I grew up hunting as well. You know, I have a family farm. It's been in our family for four or five generations now, and that's just what we've done every year. And it, it's I've kind of had to, you know step away from that like with when i was moving and uh, starting a business like i was just i didn't see any connection like i couldn't put the two and two together but now you know with what i feel like social media is doing to the hunting scene and then like you know the ketogenic diet and training like they all are symbiotic and you know the my nutrition the training all of that bleeds into my hunting and i can i can see how people could find value in that and it resonate with them as well so i'm, I'm trying to intertwine everything back together again and kind of like go back to what I've always known and loved. Um, and, and you're doing a really, you know, awesome job with that, man. Like I appreciate you, you attacking this, you know, age old art of hunting, but adding in all this like new energy, this new vibe, this new, like just feel to it all that the younger demographic can appreciate. And I know it's cool, man. It's cool to see what you're doing. And I really like the style you got in doing it. I appreciate that. And I like the symbiotic word you use. I mean, I remember that from science. It's exactly what it is. You know, it's a, it's a relationship. It's a mutually beneficial synergistic, you know, release of, of all these variables coming together into one and they all mutually benefit each other. It's, it's, it's a great word symbiosis. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Ties in pretty yeah, well. Yeah. So with regard to, to like the, the training, man, you mentioned that you were, uh, you know, used to like bodybuilding, you were up to 225. Now you're hovering around 190. What What do you think, I mean, what, what have you changed with regards to your nutrition or your training to kind of like scale that total mass down and make it just more functional, I guess? Well, for, for one, I, and I, I'm the first to admit it, I, I, I realized after training for, I'm 38 years old, I've trained since I was 15, pretty much uh, on a daily basis. I mean, I just addicted to training for the last 30, 30, 25 years, whatever. And uh, I'll tell you right now, I've realized over time watching the, 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 not, not only the men's pro bodybuilding scene, but the athletic scene as well, that a big part of a physique are genetics, you know, like these guys that are on stage, you know, people tribute, you know, them to their, their gear and their steroid use and stuff. But in reality, I, it, they take a lot less gear than you think the big, strong, badass open bodybuilders, those guys are just genetic freaks. Uh, most of the rules don't apply to them. And I've realized over time that I'm not one of those guys. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm given a physique, I can tone it, I can tweak it, but you are given a structure. And unless you go with on it, you know, the exogenous stuff and, and, and take it to another level, you're, you're kind of limited with what you're given. And so I used to do the big dirty bulk and cut, dirty bulk, and cut, dirty bulk and cut. And it's funny as I bulk up to 225, 230, 
And then I cut back to that residual 190 shredded. And it's like, well, I'm not getting anywhere with this. I'm just taxing my kidneys and doing a lot of cardio. And it's not fun to get fat and then get skinny and get fat and get skinny. And so around 30, I don't know, 33 years old, I said, okay, I'm done bulking. I'm just going to maintain and just try to get as pilled as possible. And that's about when I started running into the low carb side of things. And then all of a sudden ketogenic. And uh, like most people that dive into keto, you know, I started off with the just pounding bacon and cheese and gluttonous, you know, milk products and sour creams and all these things. And after like a month or two, my body just started like, like nudging me towards just the natural stuff. Like I, I went from that gluttonous, you know, almost Atkins style approach to ketogenic dieting to now I'm eating nothing but nuts, avocados, tons of leafy, you know, cruciferous greens, um, all my animal meats. Uh, I don't eat any milk products at all. I mean, it's, it's, I literally just eat a big, big bowl of broccoli every day and a ton of elk meat and a, a ton of almonds and cashew or uh, uh, macadamia nuts. And, and I just, I just learned that's what I crave. So it's kind of funny how, you know, I started uh, binging, if you will, on those things that I was told no for so long. And I very quickly realized my body just runs a lot more efficiently on the very natural, organic, basic foods. Um, including, you know, a lot of people, you've always been told red meat's got all these downsides that when you're eating organic animal red meat, it, it doesn't apply. Your body digests that stuff like, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how efficient it is and just the vitamins and nutrients. And, and you can tell this is, this is food, you know, this is what it's for. Um, and, and being a, on a ketogenic diet, I found that not only am, is my appetite more satiated, but I have been able to maintain a lot leaner drier physique. Um, I'll admit right now, my muscles, my bellies aren't as full. I don't get that pop, but I don't really care as much because I feel so good. And there's no inflammation post-workout. I feel I can train twice a day um, and recover quickly. My sleep is phenomenal. I go to bed every night at nine o'clock. I wake up every day at 2.30 and I am just, I'm a robot. I don't even budge. I don't take naps, don't need to. My energy levels are through the roof. And Along with keto, I've I've gotten big into intermittent fasting, and I've been one meal a day for about a year now. And I eat my my big meal post workout at about seven a.m. And uh, you know I pound in thirty five to four thousand calories and have a giant belly till about ten. And I just like that satiated feeling of just I love being stuffed. And so I can eat all my food in the morning, and then the rest of the day my blood sugar settle, my body just cruises, and I'm just in bliss you know just level intellect and brain clarity is there moods are, are consistent hormones are consistent feel great skin skin clarity i mean i just look healthier i feel it's just i honestly got tired of preaching keto because it almost sounds like too good to be true and i feel like i had to spend a lot yeah. of time explaining to people the benefits and I'm like at the end of the day I don't care if you do it you know like it works for me and I'm tired of preaching about it like it's it's almost like it's almost like too much for most people to comprehend it's it's kind of like yeah go try it and let me know what you think but I'm tired of selling people on it you know because it, it it works it works so this, this is <laughs> I mean you, you've got a pretty interesting full day man I'd love to just hear like a play-by-play -play of your day starting with the fact that you wake up at 2 30 in the morning like i wake up pretty early but you're, you're totally kicking my ass there i'm older than you man how old are you 27 yeah so when i was 27 i i slept eight hours promise trust me i couldn't have done what i do but the older i get the less i need to sleep but the other thing i never do is i never stay up late and i never get up late i maintain that schedule and i feel like your body uh just like with anything it grows accustomed to rhythms i'm a very systematic person very or very uh, regimented. I eat the exact same thing every single day. I wake up at the same time, no matter what. I don't care if I'm in Fiji, I'm on a cruise ship. I get up at 2.30, I just go and do my thing. And it's just how I am. And I've learned my body responds to that. It's, it's almost like it thanks you. And it, the way it thanks you is it set, you feel great. You know, um, when I was in college, I'd like, I'd love to party and stay up all night and get pounded and then the next two days I felt like dog shit and I, I've learned mm -hmm. that it's just not worth it. I'd rather feel good and go to bed early. Um, and that's kind of why at 38 years old, I've kind of found my sweet spot. And I, 
I can honestly say by the time I'm 50, I bet I'm sleeping three or four hours tops just cruising because I feel like my body recovers and I got, you know, my 24 hour fasting window. I feel like I, I mean, just my body's just in turbo mode during that time. I feel like it's more efficient. So I don't need to sleep. Sleep sucks. It's a waste of time. So yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm trying to like, I, I just got an aura ring. So I'm trying to like track my sleep and see where my, you know, pitfalls are and how I can improve upon it. And I hate sleeping. Like I, I, yeah, I like to sucks. feel rested and energized, but I absolutely hate sleeping. I just feel like unproductive. And there's always just so many things that I still have run through my mind as I lay down. And when I wake up, it's just all over again. Um, so, so you're waking up at two thirty, and you're training first thing in the day, right? Yep. First thing I, I wake up, I uh, take a drink about 40 ounces of water, uh, a scoop of a, you know, just a nice keto friendly pre-workout and a, uh, a little bit of lemon juice, a little bit of apple cider vinegar, a ton of salt, because I'm usually pretty de- depleted, and I just go smash. And one thing about keto, it's unbelievable, is you can train forever. Like, if there wasn't a clock on the wall, I don't know how late I'd stay, because they always say, and you know, and, and it's so, so subjective, but each person will say, oh, there's one hour, you don't want to train more than 45 minutes. Dude, I train for two hours every day, and I... I leave the gym thinking, God, I could easily could have done another set, but I got to go. I got to go mm-hmm. run, take calls, you know? So, um, that's the one thing I've loved about keto is I felt like I was literally just turbo, turbo mode the entire time. And I've loved the recovery and the, again, the lack of inflammation. I mean, my skin is just tight all the time, you know, like my legs and my vasculature, everything shows through. I do get a little watery on leg days because I smash legs and, you know, they'll, they'll hold a little water in my thighs and lose a little bit of their definition. But, um, I've just loved that side of just staying dry and lean and filling, you know, you know, you, as you know, as well as I do, the inflammation, it's hard to quantify, but when you're not inflamed, you, you can remember the difference when you're a carb guy and you just lift and you smash weights and you're, you don't feel puffy, you don't feel inflamed. But when you go into keto, you're like, geez, man, for, for 15 years, I was, I was bloated. I didn't realize it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and the, di- my digestion is so much better, so much more consistent. I haven't, I mean, gas is minimal that, that all those weird things that carbs did to me, like there's gone, I, I haven't had a pimple on my face for three years since I've done keto. And I, I don't know if that's the avocados. I don't know if it's the coconut oil. I don't know if it's the inflammation, but my skin is just cleared up, which I didn't have bad skin, but like, it's kind of weird. Like shaving and like, oh, I don't have any ingrowns on my neck or it's just weird. It's like, wow, it's kind of popped, cleared up a lot. No, I mean, you, you look, you look amazing, man. Like you're, you're not a mass monster, but you're like super, super defined. You got like, like you said, really thin skin, like, you know, from a, a bodybuilder's perspective, you know, you, you want that really thin skin to showcase the definition and the symmetry and the muscle tie-ins. And I mean, you're freaking peeled, man. No, I appreciate it. And it's funny. I watched, uh, your YouTube vlogs about your, your, your show. And I watched you, you know, eat your big pre-workout pizza and how you did everything keto. And I was wondering, you know, because I am so depleted glycogen wise, I wonder what, what, what I would do if I did decide to compete, like what type of protocol I would take, whether I would actually do a carb load, um, like I did, you know, conventionally uh, and what would happen to me if I did? Would my would I be receptive to that, or would I do it like you did? And you you kind of did a keto load. Um, I noticed you kept your mm-hmm. macros pretty pretty conservative. Like I wondered if like man, what if I just eat a you know a bucket of blueberries two days before and just let my body just reload? Would I would I would my muscle bellies round out, or are they just flat because I've trained them to be flat? Like it's one of those things I haven't really gone back into. I haven't done a show since two thousand fourteen, so. But it's definitely been one of my questions is like, how do you reload or how do you show prep for with on a keto diet? And so I was actually going to ask you about that eventually, whether it's on this or just off the off the air, you know? Yeah. I mean, what, what I found worked really, really well was just having like a, a caloric refeed all in a ketogenic from a ketogenic source, though. So like I, I typically increase my calories by 30 to 40 percent um, the day before the show you know, from all ketogenic sources and, and just having that bolus of protein and fat really helped fill, fill me out and, and give me enough volume to kind of go in there. I mean, I honestly felt more vascular, more filled out, but tighter than when I would, you know, do like a carbohydrate load in, in competitions in years prior. Um, 
I think you have to have a pretty good degree of adaptation before you can really tap into that and then let it fill you out like it did. But once you're to that stage, I, mean, I think that's all you need, really. Nice. That's cool. Very cool. Because, you know, you, you read a lot of the bro science and you, again, one of the things that I've learned is, you know, I went uh, pre-med. I uh, was going to planning on going to dental school. So I took all the biology prereqs and done macro or uh, physiology and anatomy courses and all the microbiologies and organic chemistry. And I think I understand a lot of the science behind it all. But at the end of the day, one thing I pride myself in is I don't regurgitate crap I hear on the internet and act like I'm an expert. I, I literally have tried everything I ever talk about. Like when I say I try stuff, I don't say, well, I'll give it a whirl. No, I jump in and I follow the macros for six months straight. I keep a journal. I weigh myself in the morning and at night. I'll try cutting water. I mean, I, I mess with everything because at the end of the day, I, I think it's fascinating. And I love using my body as the science platform to not only control and regulate the variables, but control and regulate the results and see what, you know, if there is actually truth or credence behind what I learn on, or hear on the internet. I think a lot of guys just take these blanket approaches and say, well, he said you have to do this. And that's like a, you know, all encompassing only way to get it done. And in reality, I've tried lots of different diets and they didn't work for me. I didn't feel good. I, my body didn't respond. And so, you know, unfortunately for most people, the, the answer to how do you get in shape and maintain it is, well, just start working on it now and learn as you go. I mean, that's the bottom line is it's different for everyone. There is no cookie cutter approach. There is no cure all. It's everyone is unique and you've got to tweak and be cognizant and accountable of what you're doing to your body, what you're taking in and your output and how you're training. And at the end of the day, like I said, it's, it's your, 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 your results are very unique to you and your circumstances. And regardless of what other people say, that's just information for you to digest, but it's not necessarily uh, doctrine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. With, with you having said that, and just, you know, what, what little I know of you, um, just in, in looking you up online and whatnot, you, you, you seem like a very regimented, strategic person. Like everything you do in a day is done for a reason with purpose, which I totally respect and appreciate and can get behind. What, what is, you said you eat one meal a day, you eat the same thing every day and you, you train in the same style. What, what is those, what, what does that look like? What, what are your meals? What, what do you eat every day? And what's your training style like? So, so the, the meals are, are pretty simple. Like I said, my macros or my calories are 3,500 to 4,000. Uh, 4,000 are my leg days. I do a push leg day on Mondays. I do a pull leg day on Thursday. So I separate quads and uh, front front loaded calves and glutes and hamstrings. So I feel like a, that's a good split for me. It also gives me a two-day recovery between the two. And it also frees me up for Saturday and Sundays for mountain hiking, blasting around. Um, the way we hunt, the way we hike, you, you don't want to train legs that day or the day before. Trust me, it's just not going to work. I don't care what you're taking. You're not going to recover quick enough. So um, I, I've, I found that that split Monday push, Thursday pull uh, is perfect for legs. And on those days, those are my high calorie days. Those are 4,000 calories, always post-workout. So one thing that's fascinating to me and absolutely blows my damn mind is I train fasted 23 hours. If you think about it, I, I train mm -hmm. at 3, 3 a.m. 23 hours after I ate last. So you think, you know, bro science wise, that you, you don't have a pre-workout meal, you know, you're not loaded up. Like, no, the, the drier I am. In fact, when I do a 48 hour fast and I skip a, a skip a day, those, those training days are also usually bananas. And it's crazy. The more, the longer that window gets, it's almost like your body just primes more and you explode. Yeah. I mean, my, my, I wake up in the morning before, before I even pop my pre-workout, my veins are on my legs are just spaghetti. They just wrap all the way around and I'm looking down and I'm like, holy cow, like it just pulls your skin so tight. So um, it's kind of interesting training fasted like that, how how much blood flow and, and vasodilation and, and honestly pre-workouts, you want to fill a pre-workout, train 23 hours fasted and you will not believe what one scoop of that stuff will do to you because it's your body's primed for it. It's just like drinking on an empty stomach. You get, you get hit a lot harder, a lot faster. And it, it hasn't compromised my performance. In fact, it's improved it because I'm so much more consistent. So my what post work workout. I, I work with Mountain Ops. It's a it's a hunting uh, supplement company that's very hunting oriented and all of their stuff. I've 
you know, read the labels meticulously and there's nothing in there that's, that's going to spike blood sugar dramatically. You know, it's, it's all very, I don't take exogenous ketones, uh, none of that stuff at all. I let my body do it. It is, you know, just loads of caffeine, beta alanine, citrulline, just the basic pre-workouts. Um, and then, gotcha. like I said, I pound, I pound sea salt, um, and ACV and some lemon juice and all my waters. And I drink at least two gallons of water a day. And obviously since I'm ketogenic, I pee two gallons of water a day. Like it just goes right yeah. through me. It's a, uh, it's, but, it, but again, it's, it's all about finding that balance for you. And you know, I never feel bloated. I never feel, I just, I feel great like that. So that my legs are done Mondays and Thursdays. And then I do a back day on Tuesday, a chest day on Wednesday. And then I repeat back day on Friday, chest day on Saturday. Typically Sundays, I just do yoga in the morning, like a big two hour, just a long drawn out, just stretch the living hell out of my joints. Just get, just completely relaxed. I um, typically, I'm, I would say about 90% of the Sundays I don't eat on Sundays. So Saturday morning at 7 a.m. I eat breakfast and then I don't eat Sunday and then Monday morning at 7 a.m. So I, I do a 48 hour fast every week. And a lot of people think that sounds crazy, but until you've done it, you wouldn't understand. Like Sundays, I, I literally do not need to eat. I'm just not hungry. And I feel like my body rebounds, it recovers, my digestion settles, it regulates. And Monday morning, I go right back to my high calorie day. So, you know, I used to do macros and calories per, per day to determine my cuts, gains, bulks, whatever. But now I go on a seven day cycle. So I just take my, my daily times, however many days I eat. So right now it's six. So I'm usually eating around 19 to 20,000 calories a week and I, and I, and I have zero on Sunday. So you average that out. That's 3,500 to 4,000 a day for those six days. That's how I've been able to do it. And I, what does that big 7am meal normally consist of? You said a lot of elk. Are you adding a lot of fat too? Cause all these wild game meats are, are a little bit leaner than what you would get in the store. Believe it or not, you'd be surprised what I do when I kill an elk or a deer is I'll take every edible organ, the lungs, the liver, the heart, uh, the kidneys. Um, try to think if there's anything else. I take every, every ounce of connective tissue, tendon, sinews, everything on that animal, all the fat on the ass, everything. Um, I don't pin it or peel it off. I literally just roll it up and give it to the processor and grind it into hamburger. So I have this cocktail of hamburger that's got organ meat in it. It's got Late, I mean, there's, you could never tell what part of the animal's from, and it's probably 80, 20. So even on a lean mountain animal, I'm still getting 20% fat because I've thrown in the fatty organs, the fatty connective tissue, uh, the fat on the, you know, most late season animals you kill in November, they have an inch, two inches of fat on their rump. And so I just throw mm-hmm. all that into the bin. And then I like, I just like the burger because I like to fry it down and put it inside of wraps or in with my broccoli you know it's just i feel like it's easier to compartmentalize and partition uh for tupperware and stuff when it's in a ground beef state and i you know i just salt it liberally and maybe put some chili powder on there just to give it a little kick but i i, I have a very simple palate so my breakfast usually consists of about a pound of of animal meat every morning uh three to four pounds of broccoli cabbage asparagus green cruciferous vegetables um I usually eat a cup of almonds, a cup of macadamia nuts, a cup of pecans. And I'm trying to think if I do anything else. I have a, um, I do take a, one of the, the, the whey protein meal replacements. It's got a lot of flax and stuff in it. Uh, just because mm-hmm. I just like the texture. It's almost like my pudding. I mix it with coconut milk, actual pure coconut, the fatty coconut milk. Um, and that's, that's pretty much my breakfast. I'm, I'm just trying to think if I miss anything, but that's, you add all that up, that should be right around my macros. I'm not missing anything. Specific. I really like the idea of having all of that ground up. So you're not you're not like making steaks out of it or anything. I'm assuming you're probably keeping the back straps, but everything else you're just grinding into one patty, basically. Yeah, exactly. In fact, you're, you're going to laugh, but I, I the only thing I do keep are the tenderloins, and there's only two of those, and I eat those in one sitting, and I usually eat them on the mountain. So um, when I get home, I mean, I. I, you got to realize that the animals I harvest, I don't kill them near a road. So when I was young, I, you know, I never saw a deer in the back of a truck with its legs because when we shoot deer, you cut them up. I mean, I literally quarter the animal. I skin him. I, I do what's called deboning where I'll actually cut, you know, circumvent all the joints and cut all the meat off of all of the bones, roll it into gauze bags and pack it off, off the mountain. I leave a skeleton on the side of the hill 
Um, and I, I take every ounce of edible flesh from the tail to the top of the neck, right behind the ears. I take it all. And when I get back to the processor, um, I used to try to process it myself, but I've just found that I have a family friend that processes it for me. He's, he's so, so convenient. I trust him. It's inexpensive and it's clean and efficient. So I just give him a big crate full of all these gauze, gauze bags and he just makes it into a big cocktail. Just the whole thing smashes it in That's there. That's awesome. I'm going to start doing that. Like, I like that principle a lot. It's good. And I, I mean, you, you and I will meet up eventually and I'll show you one of the packs of my meat when it's frozen. Um, it's, it's the darkest maroon burgundy purple color you've ever seen. You know, a lot of times you see hamburger at the grocery store. It's got kind of a pinkish reddish hue to it. Mm -hmm. This stuff is like a black liver. It's dark purple because it's just so nutrient dense and there's it's it's just it's just so awesome i can't even describe it like i love packing my elk into my freezer because it's just there are these bright purple hockey pucks of frozen meat jammed in there and i just i mean i eat a pound a day it's pretty simple i pack away 80 of them i got 80 days of meat and then i gotta go kill another one or um, luckily what's neat about this processor that i'm good friends with is there's a lot of hunters that actually abandon their animals, they don't pay to pick them, they don't pick them up. And so he has a lot of inventory. And so I'll go in there and take off uh, some of his leftovers, if you will. And I've been able to find bison, um, elk, deer, moose, antelope. I mean, it's, I've eaten them all and I've shot them all anyways, but it's fun to just kind of mix in the different game. Um, and I never add beef fat, you know, it's always just, just give me straight, no fat added. I want the animal that died on that hill. I want all of him and that's it. And that's what I've lived on, man. I don't even eat eggs or anything, just red meat. I don't eat out. My wife, I mean, my wife's this beautiful girl that loves the social scene. And I mean, I'll, I'll take her out to dinner and I literally could care less. You put a filet in front of me. I don't even wink at it. And, I, and I'm not advocating that to the masses. I don't think it's healthy for most people to not eat out. But for me, it's, it's just fuel. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not hungry. I don't crave anything. I don't cheat. There's never any like splurges where I go eat a carrot cake. Or any, I, I don't do any of that stuff. I, I just cruise. I'm, I'm very satiated and satisfied and I run like a, you know, I run, I run my body's running great. I, why mess with. And, and how long have you been eating this, this way? I've done one year, one meal a day for literally a year. I started in February last year. I started intermittent fasting two years ago. And went from the bodybuilder bro science diet, you know, of 10 meals a day to six to five, to four to three, got down to two. And I was eating, you know, like a four to six hour window. And then I saw a YouTube video of some dude that was like a vegan one meal a day guy that was just diced to the socks. And I was like, I could do it. I'm, why not? So I'm one of those guys that likes to challenge myself, even though no one's watching. It's just like me personally. Like I take cold showers just because I don't want to. You know what I mean? I, I get up early mm -hmm. just because I don't want to sometimes. It's like, I just, I feel like if your body's telling you not to, it's, it's laziness and you have to overcome it. And it, it, that's another one for me. I was like, I can do one meal a day. If he can do it, I can do it. And shoot, man. The second I got into it, I was hooked. The only problem with one meal a day, and you would appreciate this if you've done it, is, um, and I heard Eddie Bravo of all people talking about it on a Rogan podcast. He's like, bro, you don't understand. If you eat once a day, food tastes so good. He goes, you like will crave your meals. It's like the coolest thing. Just you wait all day for that meal. And it's not that you're hungry. You just anticipate it, you know? And when you get to eat, yeah. it's like, this is fun. And so I've become like an antisocial eater, which sounds really wacko. But like, I like to close the door and just eat my food like i don't like to talk my wife's like you're a jerk when you're eating i'm like baby it's give me one hour a day of just of solitude please you know no i can totally relate with that man <laughs> it's so funny like and i my dad will laugh at me on the mountain he's hunting we'll hike in in the dark and we'll get up there and i'll literally wander off on my own and go have my little breakfast in the tree <laughs> my dad will be like what did you go eat you know like go meditate and i said yeah man it was delicious but i'm in a great mood now i'm satiated let's go handle business you know so that's my that's my that's my alone time and i'm definitely gonna have to find a balance because i don't want to wear my wife out i care about her too much and i know that she likes to have her husband out eating sushi and stuff and it's not that i think i'm gonna get fat if i eat sushi i just I just love the way I'm running right now. And I, 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 I haven't wanted to change just because it's working so well. 
but I, I do realize I'm going to have to concede a little bit and kind of find a happy median. Well, on, on that topic, man, I, I've got something I want to run by. So I was at that Metabolic Kill Summit this past weekend, and one of the main topics that was on everybody's lips was metabolic flexibility and having the ability to switch from you know carbs to fat to fat to carbs and, and do so without any adverse effects, really. And like if you look at the evolution of the human and kind of what we've eaten over the past hundreds of thousands of years, like it would make sense that there would be time, like we weren't selective really in what we're eating. We ate what was available. So there'd be times where you'd have some carbs. There'd be times where you predominantly were eating fats and proteins and you would just switch back and forth as necessary. But with, with me, like I have no desire to really have carbs. Like I, I know that my skin's better. I feel better. I'm more mentally sharp. I just function at a higher rate, put out higher quality performance without the carbs. Um, but like, you you come from like a you know a standpoint in which you're you're hunting you're killing your own food it just makes sense to eat what is available to you what do you think about adding those carbs in like do you think that is a worthwhile thing or are you more kind of in mind of just do what you know works if it's not broke don't fix it the latter I'm 38 years old yeah I'm 38 years old I feel younger healthier stronger faster fitter than I ever have before why would I never? Just because someone tells me, hey, you should mix it in. What do you mean I should? You don't run on my, you don't run the way I run. You don't know what I feel like in turn. If, if I felt like I needed to add carbohydrates or mix it up, trust me, I'd be good. I'm not opposed to it. But for me, I, there's no necessity there. There's just no reason to branch out. There's no reason to change. Um, I've improved and, and gotten to a point where I feel like it's, this is where I need to run. This is, this is what I, this is my natural state. This is. You know what I mean? I've, I've kind of found my, 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 my mojo with this. And I, I, again, if you want to try it or someone else, I would never knock it. Dude, whatever works for you, go for it. But for me, I, I don't want to change. I mean, I'm, I'm at where I'm at because I choose to. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly where I'm at with it too. Like I have no desire whatsoever to kind of branch out and try to introduce those carbs for one. And mainly it's because like I've been there before. I recognize how I felt with that. And I've never felt as good as I do now. So it just seems like, a kind of productivity thing like people are always reaching for the next new shiny object but it's like there's no need you know like just do what you know is is working for you yep it's kind of like the whole the bulk and cut analogy i gave earlier you know i kept trying to bulk to gain this residual muscle mass that was that i had read about and heard about well my body doesn't build residual muscle mass like i i cut down to 190 i mean i don't look any different I, I, all I do is really just stretch my skin out and get bloated and uncomfortable and fat. And then I cut back down and I look the same. And so again, like, yeah, you could go hop off and jump on cars, but you're going to end up coming back to keto because that's where you want to be. That's where you feel better. And, you know, I think a lot of people as- associate dieting and keto with, with, with deprivation, you know, you're depriving yourself of carbs. Uh, nothing makes me more annoyed than when someone says, you mean you don't eat bread or you can't eat a roll or you can't eat corn or whatever? And I just laugh. I'm like, I can eat bread. I have a mouth and teeth and a digestive system. I could put anything I want down the pipe. I choose not to because my body reacts accordingly. And I want those results because I want to feel and train and perform a certain way. And bread isn't going to get me there. So it's not the deprivation. It's not, it's not restriction it's actually the complete opposite it's an optimization it's where i'm i'm choosing i'm actively engaged in how that food correlates with performance and i'm making decisions to improve both you know if i if i felt like eating bread would get me there trust me dude i'd be eating bread you know what i mean yeah um i i just i just like you said perfectly (laughs) if it ain't broke don't fix it that that was a great that was a great analogy this it ain't broke for me working great now i'll tell you right now yeah. if i met a guy like you who i fully respect and i've watched your videos and i've watched you from afar and i said this kid's very much like me very analytical very very uh disciplined those things to me are, are huge attributes and i resonate with them if you came to me and said hey dude i know you're hardcore keto but i've been doing these refeeds and i've gained six pounds of lean muscle tissue in, in three weeks doing them um, trust me, I try it. I try it that day. Yeah. Because, because I would say this guy didn't read it, regurgitated off some stupid medical journal. I don't care about case studies. Those 50 people, there's so many moving parts and variables in those equations. Like 
those guys don't train like me. They're, there's no way, you know, I want to know how my body reacts to certain stimuli. And if I met a guy like you who had done it, I would absolutely respect and, and, and give credence to your opinion. And I would apply it to myself. And at the end of the day, I would know if it worked because I'm very in tune with my body and how it is now. And I would be very aware of changes or benefits that came as a result. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I feel like, I don't know, one of the, one of the main reasons that I'm so drawn to the idea of just staying strict keto and not introducing the carbs is because it, it, it comes with a certain degree of discipline and consistency. And every success I've ever had in my life has been a result of those two things combined. So when everybody else is off jumping on carbs and, and recognizing that, you know, maybe that's not as good as it's cracked up to be, I'm just going to be trucking along, staying strict keto and just keep getting better every year. Yeah, 100%. So I want, I want to take this a slightly different direction, man. You and I both have a love and passion for hunting. And a lot of people listening to this probably don't have that, uh, you know, background and experience. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, more people will, will look into that lifestyle for sure. But paint, paint us a picture, man. Like walk me through, walk us through everybody listening, like a, just an unforgettable moment in the field where like you just connected with your surroundings then you know from the, the just the whole picture man like people need to i feel relate with the food they're eating and there's just such a disconnect especially nowadays with with everybody you know just going to the supermarket or just buying things off of amazon and having it shipped to them there's nothing that compares to finding the animal harvesting the animal and eating the animal all within a very short time frame i mean like danny vague i don't know if you know him but he went down to my family farm this past year and he killed his first deer and we i taught him how to you know clean and process that deer and we had that deer cooked and eaten within an hour of the time it was standing so i mean like there's something to behold with that and i know you've got all kinds of stories so just lay one on us man yeah so th this will probably surprise most people but i hunt public land so this is national forest that anyone can go hike around with their dog or backpack and go camping whatever these are just the mountains, you know, and I say mountains very generically. It's typically the Wasatch Front or the mountains around Salt Lake or whatever state I'm hunting in. But specifically for this, this story to relate to you guys is uh, there's an area that I hunt every year with my bow. Every August, I hunt the same exact hillside, the same exact canyons and ridges and basins. And over the last five, six years, I've become intimately, literally aware of the certain certain deer that are in there and I've filmed them and tracked them and I have trail cameras that are up there at nighttime taking pictures and I've actually literally watched the same animals grow and develop for years on years on years. So people think you just go up there and shoot a deer and a deer is a deer. But there's actually certain bucks that I know by name because I've rec I recognize their horn configurations, uh, maybe facial, you know, you know marks tears in their ears whatever any hunter knows you can recognize the buck year after year because they, they they maintain a similar structural structure in their antlers uh, optimally they grow bigger each year with you know as long as nutrition and water and predation is kept under balance but i've had these working relationships watching these animals grow up and i've filmed them and a lot of my youtube videos if you watch i'll have three or four years of footage cameras uh, still shots of these same bucks as they get bigger and bigger and bigger and then i finally connect with them and harvest them and this is an animal that i've literally for five years been contemplating and dreaming and 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 relishing and and, and, and pursuing so imagine the emotional i don't even want to say relief or or high but it's it's just a combination of a ton of emotions when you actually connect with one of those animals that you've been after, um, it's it's wild. And as a hunter, you know, I I mount or call you know go to a taxidermist and have the animals preserved, um, not for bragging rights for me, but more to preserve the moment and the experience and honor that animal. Those those mounts that I have, I've got forty or fifty of them in my house. Every animal on those mounts, I could t spend two three hours explaining to you the story behind that animal and the history behind it, and I feel like they're artistic expressions of of the experience and way to capture the moment and there's nothing redneck or white trash about it i, I if you saw my mounts and the, the beautiful woodwork and pedestals they're built on uh, they're like museum pieces and there's nothing that i feel honors an animal more than preserving it for eternity to share with my kids and my grandkids and be able to show them the pictures uh and the videos and the stories behind them so 
but that, that's the, the story is the general idea that I, I pursued certain bucks and certain animals year after year. And there's a lot of them that I never do actually connect with. Maybe some other hunter kills them. Maybe they're killed by a lion. Maybe they die of old age. Maybe they die during a harsh winter. Um, and it's, it's emotional for me to show up each spring and see who's still around. You know, I climb up in those hills and I sit behind a spotty scope until I watch the sun come up. And I mean, to climb that, that type of elevation, typically we start hiking at three in the morning and we don't get up there till seven, 645 as the sun's coming up and we pop out our big expensive optics and our carbon tripods. And we start glassing these animals from, you know, 500 yards to a mile away. And we, we film them and. I share those experiences on YouTube and I have tons of those sagas, you know, the stories on, on YouTube are, are all on my, my channel because I, I've wanted to share it with others. And a lot of people think it's cheesy. I mean, maybe it is a little weird to say I'm intimately involved with the deer. Uh, yeah, you can take an immature approach and, you know, jump to sexual connotations or whatever. I'm telling you that these animals mean more to me than uh, the, the selfie and the, the, the Instagram, Insta fame you get from killing a big buck. It's, it's far more a culmination of effort and time and preparation, um, honing my personal skills, tracking the animal, um, like I said, relishing him, studying topographical maps, down, property boundaries, learning the mountains, the terrains, their habits, um, watching them from afar, watching their daily routines, patterning them, and then ultimately getting within range to kill them with the bow is, it's a big deal. And so when it all comes together, um, it's, 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 it's fascinating. It's, there's nothing out there to compare it to. In fact, uh, it, if you've ever looked at my social media stuff, a lot of my brand with bow hunting, it says bow hunting sucks. All my shirts, hats, bow hunting sucks is kind of like my motto. And I say that because bow hunting does suck. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Success is almost inevitably failure. Um, the odds are extremely low. The animals are equipped with 10 times more tools than you are. Uh, the, the, the odds are far more in their favor. The conditions usually suck. Where we hunt is a pain in the ass. And you come off the hill and you hike up in the dark every day saying, why am I doing this? This sucks. Why am I doing this? But because it sucks, because it's hard, because you have to dig deep, the net increase when you actually do succeed is that much more of a, it's that much more dramatic. So the, the low, the lower you are, the higher the high becomes. And so, as much as bow hunting sucks, it's the greatest sport on earth because when it does come together, uh, you're, you're almost surprised every single time. No matter how confident a hunter you are, I, I feel like most hunters, when they connect with that trophy, they say to themselves, I can't believe I got it. I can't believe it worked out because it is a battle of far more than just physicality and luck. It's, it's an emotional commitment, you know, where you're spending time day after day, night after night thinking about it and just contemplating how to get this accomplished you know it's a it sounds really strange it sounds very foreign i think to a lot of people but that's that's the honest truth no man it's a, it's an art form to the, to the 10th degree i mean i've got utmost respect for you and other hunters that that have this outlook towards it there are, there is an unfortunate stigma against a lot of hunters because people do think you know it's just redneck white trash going out there driving up and down roads and using dogs and shooting deer and and there are a lot of those out there, and it's unfortunate that that they don't respect the animals like you've just described. Um, but when you do, when you have that, when you when you've been there and you can appreciate it, I mean, there is nothing else like it. I'm I'm constantly looking at life, and I'm trying to. I mean, truth be told, we live in a, a day and age in which we're not at risk of death every single day. I mean, like, there's we we've got it pretty easy. Yeah, um, sure. But Absolutely. bringing in these self-imposed hardships is absolutely key in order to find that true fulfillment. That's why, I, that's why I do the bodybuilding. That's why I do love and respect hunting. Cause I mean, those are two great examples of how you can self-impose these hardships to like bring yourself to a greater sense of enlightenment. And the fulfillment that you get from that is just unlike anything else. hundred percent, man. My dad, I remember when I was about 15, my dad killed a, a deer that was, you know, probably the biggest trophy of his lifetime. And I remember we walked up to it and I was, fist pumping, screaming, yelling, you know, just pure enthusiasm. My dad literally just took a knee and teared up. He, he didn't pray, you know, like, you know, teach his own. You want to pray, thank God for the deer. That's fine. My dad didn't do any of that. He, he just had a very somber reverence for the experience. And he remember, I remember him telling me this animal 
is the epitome of the mountain survivor. He's, he's lived up here for seven years. He survived all these winters when we're at home by the fire. He's up here freezing, jittering his teeth, you know. He's getting chased by mountain lions on a daily basis. He's fighting other bucks for dominance to breed. He's he's weathering the summers and, and all the, the, you know, the bugs and the heat and the discomfort. And I just took his life, you know. And I remember thinking, like, God, there's, there is more to this than just whacking a big deer and grip and grin, you know, photo with you and this big monster buck. It was, it was pretty cool, man. Pretty, pretty. My dad's a, my dad's a great, great example. My dad's, my dad's like the ultimate for me. He's like the, the perfect uh, balance of moderation and respect and, and, and us responsibility. And he's just kind of, he's just like the perfect beacon for, for me to follow and I'm completely different than my dad. I mean, we're so polar opposite. It's hilarious, but man, I've picked up some stuff from him. Um, and that was on the side of a mountain, you know, on a 45 degree slope. I'll never forget it. And I think from that day forth, you know, when I, when I, I hunt, I, I hunt for a whole different reason just because of how he instilled that in me. So how, how would you, I mean, that, that that's awesome. My, my dad is a, he's very, very deep with regard to that. Like he's a conservationist as well. He's a wildlife biologist. Um, so like that runs deep in, in my blood for sure. But like for anybody listening to this podcast, it's like, okay, this is, this is where I want to go. I want to jump into this, you know, for you and I, like we were raising those, like our, our, our fathers and we had those moments where our father would took, take us out in the woods and, and teach us these things. And then we'd like be in, you know, we'd have that foundation for somebody that's like, doesn't have that, wasn't brought up like that. How would you advise them to, to move in that direction and, and jump into this uh you're saying to someone just to get into hunting in general yeah yeah and to get into hunting and to get into it with the right mindset oh but it's tough to go in with the right mindset because you know you're, you're i don't know what your circumstances are it's very general but i would recommend is you know if you if you're if you're starting from scratch you don't have any connection whatsoever i would i would go to a local archery shop um and you know shooting bows is fun whether you're a hunter or not they're just bows are cool you know it's a fun day. You don't need to be a hunter to shoot a bow. Just go to a bow shop and say, hey, I've never hunted. I'm not a bow guy. I just want to shoot a bow, and I'd like to learn about it. Bow shops are like the, the, the hunter's version of the bar. You know, it's the place where the gentlemen go to socialize after work. You, know, you go to a bow shop. Sure, there's guys there that are pros, and they got the $1,500 gear setups and, you know, whatever. But there's also a lot of people there that are just there to just – it's fun. It's it's a uh, it's an art to just draw back and let it rip. And so I would say start there because if you do like shooting a bow then transitioning into hunting will be easy because most guys that are bow guys are hunters as well. And nothing, there's nothing a hunter likes to do more than share the passion because with any good thing in life, as human beings, typically we like to share it with others. It's natural. You take a piece of a pizza and you're like, wow, this is delicious. You should try it. Like what's the first thing you do? You always, go to share the joy, you know, and I'm the same way. And, and hunters are the same way with, with bow hunting and hunting. They, they love sharing it with others. So I would say just grow a pair and just jump into a bow shop and say, Hey, I'd like to start trying. Um, you can also look at social media. Uh, it's, it's a great, great tool to find people in your area with similar needs or similar likes and dislikes and maybe find communities on Facebook or whatever that are hunters in your area and go to their events. You know, you can get involved that way. Um, I, I'm very fortunate. It was something instilled in me from a, fa you know, a family, a generational thing. Um, so it's kind of tough for me to tell someone who's not given the same circumstances because I, I can't relate. You know, I, I grew up with it. I, I don't know what it's like to be a 25 year old that doesn't know anything about hunting. I just knew about it, you know? So that would be my recommendation, mm -hmm. even though it's probably, I'm probably not the best source to give that to you. No, that's good, man. Yeah. Good. I feel like if you found someone that was 30 that went into hunting from scratch, that person might be a better resource. Uh, I just don't know who that would be. <laughs> no, that's good. I think, I mean, going on both shops are like the, the water cooler for sure. So you go there and you'll find the path to where you want to go. But shoot, man, it's been an hour. I don't want to take up any more of your time, Zach, but I really appreciate you taking the time for this podcast. It's always cool for me to just, you know, pick the brain of somebody that, that hunts and, and, doing the right with their nutrition or training. Like I feel like hunting training and the right food, like I said, they all just go hand in hand. So it's, it's cool to hear your perspective on it all. No, I appreciate it. It was really fun talking to him. I was flattered because I really liked your content on YouTube. 
watched all your videos when you came out with them and, and was follow and thought have followed you since. So it was, it was a really good opportunity. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Where, where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, just my website and all, you know, all my Instagram, all my social media is just my name. It's Z, it's Zach Griffith, Zach Griffith.com, Zach Griffith.com is my YouTube, my, my Instagram is just all my name. So pretty easy to find. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll link out to all those and shoot, man. Best of luck at this coming season. I appreciate it, man. Take care, buddy.